Switch to Sprint Unlimited Basic, featuring TV from Hulu and 500 megabytes of mobile hotspot. Plus, for a limited time, get five lines for only $120 per month. Hurry to a Sprint store or call 1-800-SPRINT-1. Offer ends 8-16-18 after 131-2020. Pay $32 per month for a line for five lines with auto-pay. One Hulu limited commercial plan for eligible Sprint account. MHS reduced to 3G speed after 500 megabytes per month. Coverage and offer not available everywhere. Excludes taxes, fees, and roaming. Requires new lines. Subject to credit and three activation fee. Video streams up to 480p. Speed maximums, use rules, and restrictions apply. Lost Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Hey guys, it's Friday night. It's time for Finsider Podcast to make its return. We're back talk all things Miami Dolphins, whatever you guys want to hear, whatever you guys want to talk about. All you got to do is call in. 347-326-9461. You can tweet to us, at the Finsider. And, of course, there's the live thread up on thefinsider.com itself. So lots of ways to get in touch with us, talk anything and everything Dolphins-related, uh, preview the upcoming Steelers game, talk a little bit about Jonathan Martin, Richie Incognito, because we do have a little bit of more movement in that arena, I guess is the right way to put it. So lots of things to do, lots of things to talk about. Uh, whatever you guys want to cover, we'll cover. Uh, I've got James as my producer in, ready to take your phone call to uh, cue you guys up, let me know you're on the line, and we'll get to whatever you guys want to say. James, how are you tonight? I'm good. How are you doing? I am doing well. And, of course, Duke is here too. Chris, how are you? I'm hanging in there. Good. So, uh, somehow, magically, the Dolphins are still in the playoff hunt and are 6-6. Six and six. Because from the way a lot of us have talked all year, this has been a frustrating year. Yet, this Dolphins team is still 6-6. Six and six. This Dolphins team, a win this weekend against the Steelers, would tie their record from last year in wins, and they still have three games to go after that. So, I mean, they're, they're, this season is far from over. Yet, it is a difficult season because it's been so frustrating, because we expected so much out of this uh, out of this team, and we haven't gotten as much as we thought we were going to. So, it's just, I find it funny that we, we are seeing um, so many, I mean, look at Twitter. You've seen, and I'm not trying to ridicule people. I'm saying that this is where we are as a fan base. But you're seeing all the people that have the Dolphins logo with the paper bag over its head because it has been that kind of season. Yet we are tied for that last place. We still have a shot at making it. And we still have a shot at having a winning record this year. So it's so funny. And I'm frustrated. I know you and Keith and everybody Duke are frustrated, but this team is still putting it together and trudging along and looking to make the playoffs. Fire everybody. (laughs) (laughs) That is a uh, refrain. uh, Yeah, that's the, 
that's the fallback response there. Um, <laughs> the um, it, it's just kind of I think it's just kind of frustrating because I, I believe we were expecting more. Um, <clears throat> you know, we were expecting a lot more on offense. I think, and you know, even it's almost it's something out there not letting us get more than 23 points a game. Um, you know, yeah, Lamar Miller scores a touchdown, but his knee touches like one femtosecond before the ball crosses the plane, and somehow they can determine that through play. You know, it's all this weird stuff. We just can't – our offense looks better. Then it, it, then it's putting up points on the board. I don't know. And then, But that goes back to – to Ryan Tannehill, and a lot of people are, you know, they're getting kind of frustrated because he's not hitting, you know, the deep passes accurately as they think he should. Right. I find it interesting because I was watching the NFL Network the other night, and they were they were talking about Mike Wallace, and they were showing a play from his Pittsburgh days. And he's streaking down the field. He looks back and he sees a pass, and he almost has to stop and wait on the pass to get to him. And I thought to myself, no Dolphins fan out there saw that. If that had been Ryan right. Hill, they would have complained. But it, that was Ben Roethlisberger, but, you know, he's great, so they're not going to complain about that. So, I mean, I think a lot of people don't don't realize this. In terms of deep ball accuracy, Ryan Hill is middle of the pack. He's not great, but he's not bad either. He's not right. this awful thing that people are making him out to be. Now, last week, he, he had some passes he missed. Um, two in particular, the fourth down throw to Brian Hartline and the fourth down throw to Charles Clay in the end zone. Those were um, those were bad passes on his part. And, you know, I can try to make some excuses. And the only thing that I can think of, and, and something I either read or it was either a comment on the game thread, is that he's trying to place the ball more than he's throwing the ball. Um, and I think at some point, and it was alluded to, I think uh, Armando mentioned it uh, this week, on uh, something he wrote is that they don't really have time during the season to practice the deep ball. I mean, if, if Tannehill is going to do that, he's going to have to be in his own time. He can't just go out there. And, and I liken it to practicing, you know, going to the gym and shooting basketball. I mean, even, you know, even people who aren't, athletes can go shoot basketball to the point that they can get good at it and hit shots. It just requires repetition. And I think with, with Tannehill, the more he gets repetition, going to Wallace, just practicing it, it's going to be better. Uh, I'm not necessarily concerned about it, but he did miss a couple of those throws. And I think that just frustrates fans. Uh, you know, in the first half, we didn't look that great. In the second half, we came out and played much better. Um, he was throwing the ball a little better, but I think you know once he gets in, once he gets kind of in sync, and once he gets kind of into a rhythm, uh, you know things will pick up. It's just I don't know. The whole frustration to me just kind of stems from you know we never can seem to put a complete game together. You know the, we've had the two two big leads at halftime that evaporated with the Panthers and the and the Patriots, and it's just. You see this team that you, you see shades what they could be, and yet they don't seem to realize it. And that's right. That's what that's what's frustrating to me. 
And I think I've said it before. I've said it before on a couple of the live threads. It's kind of like that scene in in Major League where the uh, general manager dude comes in and talks to Coach Brown, and he says, yeah, we just need something to put it all together. And it's it's kind of (laughs) – there seems to be something, you know, I don't know if there's a cardboard cut out of Rachel Phelps anywhere that Joe Philbin can use, but somewhere somewhere, there just seems like there needs to be something that that just kind of eventually clicks and brings it all together. And then we're going to be a good team, but we just haven't Absolutely. got there yet. That's the frustrating I, part. I think I think it's funny because you see this in basketball, and we do have a caller on hold, so I want to get to him real quick. But you see this in basketball a lot that teams have to make that next step. You have the team that is completely horrible. They get a couple good draft picks in, and obviously with basketball, a couple draft picks is a a bigger percentage of the roster. But they then take that next step to they are a playoff contender. And then they take that next step to they're the 7-8 seed. And then they move up to middle of the pack. And then they move up to challenging for that number one seed and making a deep run in the playoffs. And I think that's where the Dolphins are right now. We've been that bad team. We've rebuilt. It didn't work. We've rebuilt again. It didn't work. We've rebuilt again. And now we're trying to progress to that team that is fighting for the playoffs. And I know a lot of people are, oh, I don't want to see the Dolphins go to the playoffs because they'd be out in the first round anyway. But you know what? That's the 17th game that we haven't had since 2008. And that's the only time since God knows when of this century. So I'll take a 17th game, even if you're telling me the Dolphins don't stand a chance. But if you look at it right now, who would they play if for the sixth seed? They're going to play somebody either Indianapolis or Cincinnati, and I'm pretty sure that we could keep up with them because we've already done it this year. So absolutely not saying that the Dolphins are going to make a run deep into the playoffs or anything, but I'm just saying there is a chance. And that's, that's what we have to watch. This team is developing, but you are absolutely right. They do need something to pull it all together, and they need something that teaches this team how to win. But they did win this past week, which is what Kyle, our caller, wants to talk about. So, Kyle, let me get you on the air here. And uh, what's on your mind, Kyle? Uh, hello. This is my first hey. time calling. Well, thank you for um, calling in. I had a... Uh, I wanted to comment on so many things that you guys were talking about. Um, <laughs> Not a problem. Um, but I, I, I was. Uh, my question was going to be: How representative do you think the uh, the Dolphins were? Which falls along the same lines of what the previous caller was asking. How the game last week against the Jets? How was that? The real Miami Dolphins? Are they starting to come together, or were the Jets on the down are just really stinking. But I, to answer some of the questions about putting it all together, this is terrible of me, but I'm going to do it anyway. I, I'm from Indianapolis, <laughs> and I've been a Pacer fan for a long time, and so I pay attention to them too. And they 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 stick to get that team is stuck together now for three years. Those players, and this team was put together. Um, a lot, of, a lot of money spent in free agency, draft picks. Um, Dan Allen's right. been a quarterback his whole life. It, it's going to take 
time, and this is the second year. Um, I mean, if they were, and they keep, they've had, how many setbacks have they had this year that they seem like they're taking a step forward and then two steps backwards um, with very much our incognito thing? Yeah, go ahead. Um, to, to, to go to your first question, I'm going to let Duke handle the majority of that because, to be honest, I've only watched the first half of that game because I was out last week. So I didn't get to see the Dolphins dominate the Jets, which makes me sad. But I got, I've seen the first half. I will say that there is some part of that that is the Jets on the downhill slide because the Jets are falling apart. But a team has to know when to step on somebody's throat and put them out of their misery, and the Dolphins figured out how to do that. Now, like I said, I watched the first half where 6 nothing at halftime should not have been that score line. I'll watch the rest of it, hopefully tonight, otherwise tomorrow before Sunday's game. But there is a part of that that they're still learning, and uh, there was definitely a part of it that was the Jets are just falling apart. But, Duke, I'll let you talk the rest of the Jets game. How much of it do you think was the Dolphins starting to put it together versus the Jets falling apart? I, I'm, I'm actually going to say about 50-50. Um, I think you want to kind of split that down the middle. I think that the Dolphins, I think it was a, a well-coached game from the standpoint of game plan. They knew how to take on the Jets. They knew how to um, do what they wanted to do, and they did. Um, the offense wasn't bad. They just didn't execute when it came to scoring. Um, there were some reds on this half. Um, so that that penalty that, that Charles Clay got in, in the first half was in the first on the first drive. I, I didn't see it. I have to go back and watch it, but it it seems very weak to me. But anyway. I think that was just kind of a combination of the Dolphins are just a better team at this point. They are more talented on offense. Um, defensively, um, I think team, the teams are kind of equal. I think the Jets' front seven is a little better than our front seven overall, but I think our secondary is a little better than their secondary. So I think it kind of evens out. We're just a better offensive team. Ryan Tannehill is a much better quarterback than Geno Smith. Um, Ryan Hennehill goes out for us for 331 yards, two touchdowns, a fluke interception. Um, you know, his arm got hit, so it wasn't like, you know, he it was a bad pass or something. So it was just, you know, he he, he missed some throws, but he, he played well overall, I think. I think it was just a, a – it was, the Dolphins played well, but, you know, we've seen it before with some of these games where the Dolphins will come out in the first half and they'll play well. And then the second half, they look like a completely different team that doesn't know what they're doing. They can't get out of their own way. In this case, I don't think the Jets were just equipped to to um, take advantage of that. I, they just aren't a good enough team to do it right now. Um, and I think that – I think Miami played better in the second half anyway, which which is promising. And I think the Dolphins, as Coach Philbin said in his post-game uh, speech, that this is something they can build off of. And I think if they continue to build off of it, then we're going to see a playoff caliber team. But, you know, I, I want to say that it's one of those things you have, you have to have tempered excitement. Yeah, we put away the Jets. We uh, Ryan Tannehill 
himself nearly doubled the Jets' yardage total. He had 300, I believe it was 353 yards passing and rushing. The Jets had uh, 354. Yeah, the Jets yeah, had was, 354. So yeah, yeah, it was like one it's, yard it's less. Kind of yep. So. You, you want to look at it like, yeah, we crushed the Jets. We did some great things, but at the same time, you have to look at it like, yeah, it was the Jets, and they were a complete mess. And so you have to kind of look at it through those lenses. We did some promising things, but it was against an inferior team. If we come out this week and do the same thing to the Steelers, then you're gonna, then I think you can start saying the Dolphins are more for real now. Yeah, that'll be a big step. I, I like to – for the past couple of years, we've been living with um, field goal kickers, and then you watch a game like Denver and Kansas City, and all you see are, are increments of seven in the score. You don't even see an odd uh, three here or six points or safety or anything. It's all touchdowns. Somehow we got it. Right. I mean, getting the ball in the end zone is a – I guess that comes with time too. The I, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, another thing you touched on briefly, and I was going to do an article about it earlier this week, and I just I never had the time to put it together. Um, Herm Edwards, who everybody knows, ESPN analyst, former coach, Herm Edwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's talked about it a few times on ESPN, either NFL Live or whatever show he's on, Sports Center, all those type of things. And then he wrote an article. It was insider protected on ESPN, but he wrote an article about why he thinks the Dolphins are going to be that sixth seed. And one of his points in there was coaching. And it, I went, what is he smoking? And not alleging that he's doing it, but you know the thing, because we're all sitting here frustrated as all whatever you want to say about the coaching because the play calling confuses everybody. We all as fans are sitting here going, we can tell the snap count. I'm watching on TV and know what the Dolphins are going to do based on the snap count. Now, I think that there is some validity to it, but I also think that there, we make more of it than we realize because every former player that has been asked about this or current player that's been asked about this, says that they're not getting the signals out of it like we think we are. So maybe there's more to it or less to it than we think. But whatever the case is, Herm Edwards is going on about how the coaching is going to get Miami into the playoffs. And it took me a little while to figure it out. And his reasoning is not because of anything they're doing on game day, but because of how well Joe Philbin has gotten this team through all of the off field drama. Exactly, and when you stop and think man. about it there, you go, wait a minute, he is doing a good job there. And we we do. I think we if you stop and look at it from that perspective versus the on the field perspective, Joe Philbin is doing a great job. Now, we need to see some changes for on the field, but we have had a lot of weird stuff happen around this team. And you talked about it earlier, and it just it made me remember that. But, yeah, Herm Edwards said it. And it, when, he, when I read that article, I went, wow, that kind of does make sense. One, one thing I want to throw in there real quick is I noticed in this game, and I think the last game, is that they are starting to um, 
mix up the snap count a little bit. There was one time where Tannehill did the go-go and they ran like a, like normal, but they snapped the ball on the first go. So he was actually saying go as he was backing away from center, which is kind of weird timing. He also ran the ball on one go and threw on two goes one time, which is opposite. So I think I, I think they're messing with it a little bit, and I think I think some of it's the rhythm too. Whereas you know we kind of hear it as one go or two goes. I think there's a little bit of rhythm in there. Whereas you know we think we can time it. We know what the play's going to be from TV or whatever, but the players on the field they can't queue up on it. It's like all right, you know he's going to say this particular thing three, two, one, go. Kind of you know kind of how you would anticipate the snap. So they are mixing it up a little bit. And as far right. as the coaching, you know, and, and here's the thing. Now, I mentioned those two plays about the two fourth down plays that we didn't convert. And I have issues with those plays because, number one, the I, I, I want to say that the first play to the one to heart line was, I think it was kind of an option route because I think Tannehill kind of hesitated at first. I believe he was expecting an in-breaking route that he was just going to throw like a slant or something. And heart line, you know, broke you know, got past the receiver, and, and it was just an underthrow. I don't like that play call on, on first on fourth and one or whatever, simply because, you know, that, that's a good third down play call, but I don't like it on – it's a lower percentage throw regardless. And, and and the call on fourth down, and it was mentioned on the game thread, but I said it was – they said it was a similar play that they ran where we scored the winning touchdown against Atlanta. And I said, no, it wasn't the same play. That play was play action. Um, and the tight end sneaked out into the into the flat there, and Tannehill hit him with a little hook shot. This they they ran up to the line, they went in a, as a power set, and then they went into a a shotgun formation. So you knew it was going to be a pass. Now on both plays, execution was a problem. Tannehill missed the throws, and that cost us points. And so from that perspective. Um, you know, that's not the coach's fault. But at the same time, you know, that's one of the issues that I had. Is, to me, you've got a quarterback who's athletic, who can run the ball. Why not use rollouts more on the goal line? On that fourth something, or fourth and one, whatever it was, let him roll out and have a passing option or let him run the ball in. In my opinion, that would have worked better. I don't know. So I, I think – at some point, the coaches are, are they're kind of learning as well. And I think they're, they're kind of fed up with people questioning them a little bit. So I think they're trying to be a little more creative. And I think they're moving in that fashion. But they, in my opinion, they still have a long ways to go. Um, oh, I, I agree. But, I, I think they do. I think you're right. I think they are starting to open it up a little more. I have a feeling that, and Keith and I talked about this, it may have even been on one of the previous podcasts about this, that I think part of the problem here is, Philbin respects Sherman too much. Because Sherman used to be his head coach, he was the assistant moving up, eventually offensive coordinator, all that kind of stuff. Um, he, he respects Sherman. So now, while Sherman's running the offense, Philbin's been very hands-off from what I've seen. Granted, I'm not there. I'm not in with the team. I don't know. But that, that's my impression of it, is that Philbin has said, Sherman, it's yours. And he's reluctant to go over there and tell him, hey, you're screwed up because of that dynamic that they used to have where the roles were reversed. Now, it, it, it's, it, it's an issue in the sense of 
he's the head coach now. That's the offensive coordinator. I'm not saying that there's confusion within the locker room over who's in charge of what. I know that Philbin is still the head guy, but I think there is some. I don't want to be. I don't want to go in there and tell him he's all jacked up. I don't want to question him. Let him do his thing because it's worked before, and it's not working now. So I think there is starting to be some Philbin. Hey, we need to open it up more. He. We've had the 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 situation. Um, what five, six, seven weeks ago now, where Philbin went over to Sherman and said. Abandon the run, throw the ball. And we actually started moving the ball in that game. Now, looking back at it, that moment, we've abandoned the run ever since. I I think there are changes that are happening in the coaching staff. I think there are a lot of changes that still have to happen. But I do think that we are progressing. There was an article I read, I I think it was on the Internet, about about Sherman kind of – the NFL's kind of passed him by, or he, he's behind the, the times. Kind of like what happened to Chuck Noll with the, the Steelers. He, he stayed on a little bit too long. It's hard for anyone yep. to quit, I guess, playing or coaching. But I, I'm just agreeing with what you're what you're saying. I don't know how you uh, how do you. Part of that comes down to execution, too. I mean, we talked about those fourth down. I mentioned those fourth down plays. If Tannehill makes those throws, those play calls look genius. Hey, we, we square. They, uh, I don't know if Farlon would have caught, when caught from behind. He did have a couple steps on the owner, and the other was in the end zone. You know, so it's kind of one of those things that, you know, you read about. I read on, on uh, ESPN a couple of times. People said, you know, if you go for it on fourth down and you, and you get it, you look like a genius. If you don't, you look like you made a mistake. And so I think, it, you know, you kind of look at it from from that perspective. I look at it, you know, some people do. I kind of look at it from that. I think you could have done something better there. But but I do think that, you know, a lot of the times, and it's easy to always blame coaching and not blame the players. But, you know, there have been plenty of times this year that, you know, Tannehill has just not, you know, executed well enough. Well, and, I can blame two games on him completely this year. Where I, I, just my opinion. I mean, where I think he he it was his plane that lost the games. I can't remember which ones they are because I get so emotionally involved. I almost <laughs> black out sometimes. Yeah, uh, I, I will say the Buffalo game is on Tannehill. Even though we had a chance to win that game, and yeah, the offensive line gave up a couple of bad sacks and whatever else. He comes out does a pick six on his very first pass. He throws oh, a yeah. terrible interception down in the red zone on the other end, which I, I, I to this to this day I, I, I see where he was trying to throw the ball, but and I understand I understand what he was thinking. I, I, I want to say I understand what he was thinking, but the execution there was just hideous, and overall his accuracy that game was just terrible. Um, but you know, and then there's other games that he's played well in. Um, you know, I. I I think a lot of people get caught up with him with a deep ball, but I, I think there's some – I don't want to say he's gone into full-blown David Carr syndrome, but I think that what we saw against the Jets is they only got one sack all game. They protected Tannehill very well. And was, when uh, what is going on there? How they do that with this put-together offensive line? Is that well, building? Is I, that I, I tell you, yeah. 
Well, uh, first of all, Kyle, we are completely ruining the game for Kevin right now. So, um, <laughs> no, you're fine. I, I'm smithing. I'm smithing. <laughs> uh, but no, um, I've, one of the I've written a did complete week, recap on the game without having seen the game. So, <laughs> one of the uh, one of the things about uh, about this game that that I think helps with that number one is they did run the ball. Now you look at the running averages; they did not run the ball. Um, they didn't have a high yards per carry average. This is the best Great. team against the run in the NFL. And they put up 125 yards on them total against the team that has only given up 70 yards a game. So I think that limited the, the pass rush. Number one is I think uh, another thing is uh, is McKinney is just a better left tackle than Martin was. And I think Tyson Claybo has picked up his game a little bit after he got benched. I think that was kind of a wake-up call to him, and he's played a lot better. Um, the Jets have a good defensive line, but they don't have necessarily a a dominant pass-rushing defensive end like, say, Cameron Wake or or uh, uh, DeMarcus Ware or someone like that. They have they have McConnell Wilkerson, but he plays more of a 3-4 end, a guy who generates pressure from that position. So it's a little bit different, but... You know, I, I think they just kept – and they they used a shorter passing game. They didn't necessarily try to throw it deep a lot. So I think they just basically took left to the – let the, the receivers get up and quick, and he'll make short passes. And and uh, and then he'll just show a little more pocket presence this week. You know, he, he escaped. There was one play that um, he uh, had a guy in his face, I think, and he escapes and, and throws a pass to Wallace and, and, and gets there. So – you know, I think I really, overall, the offensive line, I think, deserves – they get an A-plus this week because they they opened up enough running lanes that uh, they could run against this, against a very good run defense, and they protected Tannehill. So, you know, for all the crap that we've given them all season, they deserve a – you know, a, Tannehill should have taken them all out and gotten stakes this week because they deserve a it was it was it was great to watch, I and mean, it was like I was watching a different team. That's why I was. That's why I presented the question the way I did. Was, I mean, if they, if they continue to do that, that's why behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah. So, with him, with him being out, they could they were forced to stick with Lamar Miller, and I think it worked. Um, and as you can tell, I'm not a big Daniel Thomas fan, so. And you know, we talked about those goal line runs and other runs where we couldn't get a, we couldn't get in across the, the goal line, and we need a power back. But Daniel Thomas is not that guy. He can run with some power, but he doesn't do it consistently. So hopefully he'll just be out the rest of the year. So if he comes and back, he says he's coming back. He says he's coming back. I, he gets hurt all the time. Seems like. I mean, if I'm Lamar Miller, I, I hire. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but whoever it was that busted up Nancy Kerrigan. From Florida? Yeah. Uh, whoever that was that busted up uh, Nancy Nancy Kerrigan there in the, the Atlantic oh. that one time. Just have Tanya Harding. Yeah, just have, just have uh, what was his name? It's, I can't remember the guy's name. Anyway, I can just picture a, a, a scene there, a, a camera there with Daniel Thomas. In the in the tunnel of the hallway of the locker room, going why, why? But anyway, that's it. Kyle, thank you very much for calling yeah. in. I've got okay. another caller, so okay. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you.
Um, before we go on to the Floridian debater who wants to talk about Ryan Tannehill, uh, just so you know, uh, Duke, um, Thomas is listed as questionable for this week's game. For somebody <laughs> who has every game. For somebody who has a season-ending ligament tear in his foot, being questionable a week later is pretty good, I think. Um, but yeah, so uh, he's, uh, he, and, and one he thing made Kyle said is, one thing about this last game that I really enjoyed is it was a game that I could that I stayed seated for the entire game. Uh, these nail biter games that we've had all year, I, I pace all the time. I cannot sit down and watch those type of games. This was the first game that I've been able to sit down and just be like, ah, and I knew, it was, the, knew the game was in hand. Right. It was one of those type of games. And he talked about, you know, getting uh, getting animated and, and getting so emotionally involved. And that's kind of how this game was. was, was it was a very relaxing game from the standpoint of once you realized how inept their offense was, you're like, we got this. And, you know. And Coach Philbin was actually asked about that, about how uh, – how different was it to not be in the nail-biter, not going to know the outcome, all that kind of stuff? And he said it was something that he could get used to. It was a little bit different, and but it was something he could get used to. <laughs> I think that's about right. Uh, yeah, it was just it – it, it, you'll enjoy the second half. I'm just going to – I, I – I hope I do, given that most of the points were scored there. I'm pretty sure I will. Um, Let's go ahead and get Floridian Debater on here, who has been away from the show for a while, but makes his return now wanting to talk about Ryan Tannehill. So how are you tonight? I'm doing all right. Nice to have you guys back, too. Yeah, we've we've been away for a little bit, but we are back and ready to go. So Uh, what's on your mind about Tannehill? All right, well, the the biggest thing that you guys brought up, how he, he's not making throws, and yeah, that's true, but I'm looking at other quarterbacks around the league, and I'm noticing there's a pattern going on with a lot of the quarterbacks, and the one thing in common is that a lot of them are running quarterbacks. I'm looking at yeah. San Francisco and seeing Colin Kaepernick struggling, but what's, 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 what's happening there is that He's not running as much as he used to, supposedly. His rushing numbers are way low compared to what it was last year, just average-wise. And then you look at RG3, and he's not he's barely running at all. And he's like hes a shadow of what he used to be. I think and you're, you're on to something. I think a lot of coaches have very much so um, told their quarterbacks to protect themselves to the point that that's what we're seeing that they aren't running as much. They aren't comfortable taking off. And now, granted, RG3 is going to take off when RG3 wants to take off. And we're starting to see Tannehill do it a little bit. But, yeah, I think think you're absolutely right that these guys aren't running as much, and it is impacting their throwing. Because last year – exactly. Last year we saw Tannehill run a lot more than than it has been this year, and he was – there were times he was looking a lot more effective and he wasn't having to like throw the two yard dumps on second and 20, you know? Right. I do think that he has a piece there. Um, I I don't think that, I I don't think Duke meant this because I know I've talked to Duke. Um, 
I know Keith would agree here that we will we will absolutely say Tannehill has missed throws and he needs to improve on that. But oh, no doubt. I don't think that any of us would go so far as to say that Tannehill is not capable of making those throws and is not capable of being the quarterback for this team. Because I know that there are a lot of um, people out there that for some reason have already started this, we need to bench Tannehill, we need to draft a quarterback. And I'll say it there too, I'm not against drafting a quarterback. I'm somebody who believes you draft a quarterback every year. It may not be a high draft pick quarterback, but you draft one every year simply because – when you do pick up Tom Brady in the sixth round, you look like a freaking genius. But I don't think that Tannehill is somebody to give up on yet. I, no, I, I wouldn't give up yeah, on him either. He, he, he needs to there, – there are definitely throws that he needs to hit. And I do think what, uh, what Duke said a little while ago is absolutely true too, that Tannehill, Tannehill tries to place the ball too much on those deep throws. He doesn't just rip it as everybody will love to hear, that he needs to just throw it up there and let Mike Wallace go get it. Now, part of the problem there is we haven't seen Mike Wallace go get the ball very often. And maybe that's why Tannehill isn't going and just ripping it and letting it fly, because he doesn't believe that Wallace will go get it. But Let me, let me add something there, because yeah. I think this is important to know here is that if you're talking about, you know, a 40 or 50-yard throw that you drop in a bucket, that's a very difficult throw, even for the best it is. the best quarterbacks. What Tannehill does not have that some other quarterbacks have is a guy that will fight for the ball. And we saw that with the interception right. this week. It was almost as if – I, I really can't tell you what Mike Wallace was thinking when that ball was floating around the air. Is that it was like he was? He thought about should I knock it down? Should I knock it down? Should I knock it down? No, he just intercepted it. So, you know, it, you know, I understand why they got rid of Brandon Marshall. But if you have a guy like that, okay, when Tannehill makes those throws that are slightly off, a little bit too high, or just a little bit out of out of range, guys like that will still catch the ball. And so, when you have a kind of a big target like that, a a, a guy that will go up and and make those tough catches, it makes the quarterback look more accurate. And right now, he doesn't have a guy like that. Now, that doesn't necessarily help on deep throws. But you see a lot of times with guys like, say, Calvin Johnson, that Matthew Stafford will just throw the ball up, and it doesn't necessarily have to hit him in stride. Sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. But he's such a, he's such a you know, a, a dominant target. He's, he still won't catch the ball. And Wallace just isn't that guy. And he's one of those guys, if you hit him in stride, that's great, but you're not always going to hit him in stride. Even I mentioned before, even Roethlisberger wasn't like that. So, well, I wouldn't exactly compare Wallace to Megatron. Megatron's huge, man. Wallace is I, I, not. I know. But what I'm saying is, I think that Miami will. I, I, I think they will at some point address the wide receiver position and go out and get him a bigger target. Simply because number one, we don't have the guys that we have aren't necessarily great at beating the press, and we need to have a physical guy. We don't have a true red zone threat. I mean, Charles Clay's talked about the best thing we've got. If Michael Agnew developed a little bit more, he would be a good red zone target because he's the biggest guy. There. If, you, if you watch him stand next to the rest of the tight ends, he's the biggest one. But and we just, don't have that receiver. Just for the record, can just, 
just for the record, I was talking to uh, Keith about draft prospects, and I fully acknowledge that the Dolphins have to uh, address the offensive line, but I'm definitely in ball watcher mode because if there is some way that the Dolphins can jump up to take the um, St. Louis draft pick that comes from Washington and somehow land Mike Evans, the wide receiver out of Texas A&M. Oh, yeah, big guy. That's what I would want to do right there. And it's absolutely the wrong move in the we need to draft, we need to fix this offensive line. But there is no way that we could – there's nobody that's going to complain if, they, if we go get that guy. I just that, that would be my move. And it would be funny because right now that would be a trade up to the number three overall pick. So they'd basically be doing the exact same thing they did last year. And uh, I don't think he's going to be drafted that high, though, Kevin. He he got shut down by a freshman in a recent game. So he, I don't. He, he's a raw prospect, so I don't think he's going to go right. like top five. You're right. I I don't think he would. But my problem is, I think that the team that would go get him or that would draft him at this point are the Jets because he fits exactly what they need. And Let so me, uh, I think that I'm, I'm if to, you uh, want him, you've got to get in front of the Jets. I'm going to uh, I'm going to jump back on what I was saying because it kind of ties in okay, with yeah. now that y'all talked about that yeah. because <laughs> I didn't necessarily want to talk about a specific prospect. I'm just saying I think right now that, you know, you even look at – and Aaron Rodgers is, has unreal accuracy. I, I, I don't want to even pretend he'll near that category at this point. But he at least has a guy in Jordy Nelson that is a big target. A lot of these top receive, a lot of these top quarterbacks have big receivers, and we don't. We have smaller receivers. Now, a guy like Brian Hartline has vacuum hands. He's going to catch everything, but he's not a physical guy. Mike Wallace is super fast, but he's not a physical guy. Rashard Matthews is probably the most physical receiver we have on the team, but he's not. He's not there yet. So, there are a number of prospects out there, and a guy that I that I'm going to watch a lot of tape on that, I, that I've seen some on is Dante Moncrief from Old Miss. I think right. it's Ole Miss. And uh, he, he's a guy that's probably around the 6'2", 6'3", range, is about 225, um, has good has, – has good feet, and uh, he's probably a guy that's going to time slower but plays a lot faster. But I think if they get Tannehill a target like that, and so that's where Charles Clay has helped out this year, and that's the reason why Tannehill's been more successful this year is because Charles Clay has, to the, for the most part, been that kind of guy who's played big. And we just don't have guys to play big. We have guys to play fast or play savvy or play smart. We don't have a guy that plays big, and I think that's what we need. And I think if we go out and get a guy like that, whether it's Mike Evans, uh, whoever it is, because you got to realize, we've got a lot of money tied up in receivers. So if we go out and get a first-round guy, you know, you've got to figure out where you're going to place him because you know, he's not going to be the fourth receiver. You know, so something will have to get there. But I think they can go out and find a guy, and it may be maybe even look at the tight end position again. You know, look at a guy like uh, Ebron from from Carolina, or uh, one of those kind of more receiving tight ends, where they just have, Tannehill has a guy that he can just throw the ball in the general vicinity. And they can go up and get. And right now, you know, Charles Clay and Brian Hartline are the closest things that they that the Dolphins have today, and they don't. So I think that some of this issue that people have with Tannehill's accuracy, a lot of that can be solved. Number one, which is practice. You know, that's not going to come this year. That's going to come next year. I guarantee he's going to go out there and he's going to 
set those little buckets up all over the place, trash cans up, and he's just going to practice long balls, long balls, every which way. He's going to get out there with Wallace and, 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 just, and practice that a lot to the point where he gets comfortable with it and he gets more accurate with it. And then I think when they go out and get him a big target, he's going to have that kind of safety valve that if he's in trouble, he's just like, all right, I'm just going to throw it up to this guy and he's going to go get it. So, all right, back to my Kevin. <laughs> well, you can... <laughs> Well, you brought up the receiving tight end, so I'm thinking. But now, didn't we sign a guy? Remember, Keller's still out there, and, he, and I'm pretty sure that they're going to be people. Other people are going to be wary to touch him because of that injury he took. But if anybody well, takes him, it might be us again. I think that's very we much might, a possibility. I, I think we would have had it not been for Charles Clay. And if you look at Charles Clay, what he's done so far, his stats. I don't know what he's projected at. I read that post earlier in the week. I don't have it pulled up. But if you look at where he's projected to finish, his this season will be better than any season Dustin Keller ever had. Now, granted, oh, I, know. I, 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 would, I would say that, you know, Tannehill's a better quarterback than Mark Sanchez. So, that you know, that's, yeah. not, to say that, that's not to say Keller wouldn't have had an even better year this year. But even then, he's only about 6'2". He's not necessarily a big guy. He's, no, but he's, he's a receiver guy. Uh, it, to me, if I were looking at a tight end, um, you know, I, I like Ebron. I like some of those guys. If I was looking at the tight end, and I mentioned this guy before, it's Austin Fitzgerald Jenkins. Um, he just looks like a beast, and he might be a guy that could slip to the second round because of some character issues. So, if he's there in the second round, and I'm the Dolphins, I don't think I don't think you could. There's not enough time. You know, it will take me to get to the podium that quick, and I'm rambling on what I'm saying here. <laughs> I got fast to the podium. I would go back in time to get to the podium to, to get that guy because he's just a big dude. He's that kind of guy that you can just throw the ball up and he's going to catch, and he's going to have two guys draped on him, and, you know, those linebackers are just going to fall off of him. So, yeah, he's a guy. Uh, and, uh, you know, once the season's over, I, I know Keith and I are going to be digging into film like we did last year and, and watching this stuff. And so um, – yeah, I I think Tannehill needs a big target. He just doesn't have one. I mean, we have a very small lineup comparatively. And the biggest guys on the team are undeveloped guys, you know, Sims and, and, and Agnew. They're the biggest targets, and they're just not good enough yet. So who's to say next year they may not be? That's what I'm saying. Because if we go out there and draft another tight end, then what does that say about Sims and Agnew, that we're giving up on them already? We don't need, like, four of them. Well, uh, the mean, team me, the team usually does carry four. To me, if you go out and that, get those guys, you get a guy like Sperry and Jenkins or something, it's because he failed to use your spot. I don't think they're necessarily going to target those guys. I, and I think Charles Clay helps alleviate that because he's playing at such a high level this year. They can say, you know what, if we right. don't get a tight end, we're all right. Um, but... If a guy like that falls to you where you're sitting, and let's say you know, let's say Miami makes it to the playoffs and, and makes a run and makes, let's say they make it to the AFC Championship game. All right, that means they're going to be drafting the bottom four of the first round. Well, the chances of you getting a left tackle or you know a decent left tackle at that point is going to be, you know, you're, you're talking about kind of looking at the, the lower tier prospects at that point. So if you're talking about a second tier offensive tackle prospect. Or a guy like a, a huge tight end target like Severian Jenkins, who would you take? I mean, 
I, and I'm an offensive line guy. I love those guys. I would love to beef up the offensive line. But if Richardson and Scherf and, um, you know, all of those guys are gone and the guys that are up are guys like, well, I don't know if I could, they're necessarily plug-and-play left tackles. I mean, I, if, if Safarian Jenkins was there at 28 or whatever, absolutely I would draft him without, without thinking about it twice simply because he would be the best player available. He's going to fill a need. And you just go back out and re-sign Brian McKinney if you have to. I wouldn't be opposed to that either, which, which brings up another question I was having in mind. Um, you, We've seen the offensive line all of a sudden look ten times better than what they were before the whole incognito Martin crap came out. So right. what do you attribute to there all of a sudden, like, holy crap, we have an offensive line? Yeah. I, I, I'm going to attribute it to to number one, McKinney being a, a, a good left half. Um he, he's a he, he he even though he's older, he's an upper level guy. I mean he knows how to play the position. I think Tyson Clebos come around. I think the benching kind of helped him. I think Nate Garner is very underrated. Uh, and even to the point that Sam Brenner was in there at guard a couple times. Um you know, I just think those guys is I think the the whole incognito mess kind of those guys probably got together and it's like look you know everyone talked about how bad we were before now everybody's expecting us to be terrible let's go out and show those people who we really are and I think they just kind of banded together and and you know personally I, I didn't think incognito even though he had a high PSF grade I didn't think he was that great so I mean, the two guys that got rid of people were like, oh, we lost two starters on the offensive line. I'm like, you have a big deal. Yeah, I didn't think they were that good to begin with. So um, I think McKinney helped. I think Claybo's turned it around a little bit, and that's helped out. And uh, the guys in the middle have just been playing tougher. So with I that think that's in mind, valid. Go on, okay. go ahead. Um, so with that in mind, would you rather keep the offensive line intact as it is right now? Because if we're going to draft like – if 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 what the projections are true and we're going to, like, draft a whole new O-line, wouldn't that mess with the chemistry? Well, we're probably not going to draft more than – I'd say we draft three offensive linemen. I don't know that, that all three would be starting um, at this point because let's say we make the playoffs and this coaching staff sticks, then I think at this point – I mean, incognito is not coming back. They're not going to – he's a free agent, and they're not going to re-sign him at all. Jonathan Martin is going to be traded or cut. They're not bringing him back. So you're losing those two guys. But I, I, I do think with the way Nate Garner is playing, I believe they can put him in it as tackle position – or, at, uh, excuse me, a guard position, and I think he would be fine there. They, for some reason, have decided to make Dallas Thomas a tackle, um, and that's the reason why Sam Brenner is getting the starts over him. But I think if they, if they realize that he's more of a guard than a tackle, let him play guard. I don't see why they couldn't put him at right guard. And then, you know, then you're looking at it's your tackle positions. And so you have three guys that are already on the line, that are already with the team that could start. You've got a guy like Sam Brenner who, you know, I mean, he's an undrafted guy, but he's already stepped in and, and started a couple games, and, he, and he's – saw some playing time this past week. So, you know, I think they've got some guys there that you can play 
they're not necessarily great. I think you just have to upgrade the tackle position. And so if you can do that, and I know the Dolphins fans don't want to hear that when it comes to the draft because we want the Mike Evanses, we want the big tight ends, we want the skill position players. But if you could go out there and knock out two good offensive line or offensive tackle prospects with your first two picks, I think that's, I, I think that's as far as you need to go unless there's just a really good guard prospect that falls to you in the third round or something. Um, I, I, I just think that – and what really tells me that they're going after a left tackle is because they avoided uh, the final year of uh, McKinney's contract. Yeah, I didn't understand the logic behind that, but whatever. Well, I think they both agreed on it is that they were just basically renting him for this year and they needed him uh, because of all the other stuff. I think um, – I think that number one that opens up him signing another contract that's more uh, cap friendly to what the Dolphins want uh, if, if he's wanting to do that. And secondly, I think it just it allows them to go out and pursue another free agent left tackle if that's the way they choose to go uh, with say Brandon Albert or somebody. So I don't know, but I do think that the offensive line they I think they will go at least. One, if not two, of the first three picks will be offensive linemen. And I think, depending on where we draft in the first round, which all the mocks kind of have us, you know, just barely missing the playoffs at this point, kind of in the 17 to 19 range. And so I think at that position you've got a couple, two or three left tackles there that are that will be available that the Dolphins will fill after. And, and I don't necessarily think that hurts the, the chemistry of the offensive line uh, because you do have some other guys there like Garner, Dallas Thomas, uh, Pouncey, who, who are familiar with each other already, kind of know how each other plays, so you're just kind of incorporating. And you've also got to look at you know, how McKinney came in and, and, you know, pretty much stepped in from day one and, and played well. So if you find a guy that's just, you know, a good left tackle that's just that talented, you know, he's going to step in and there won't be any problems. I think that's to go back to why the offensive line is starting to play better. I think that's exactly part of it is – McKinney McKinney is a good left tackle. He fell out of favor in Baltimore, um, but he is a good left tackle. He came here to Miami not knowing the the play calls, not knowing the schemes. He, he's missing all of that. So now that he's starting to feel comfortable in it, he's starting to be able to be the guy that actually starts um, mentoring I guess is the right word, mentoring the uh, the younger guys like when Sam Brenner is in there. So you're starting to see that happen. You also have to take into account the fact that they did get Pouncey back, which is obviously going to be a help. Um, you're starting to see these younger guys that they have talent, but they're just raw. They're coming in there with the ability to just give everything they got to try to prove themselves. Whereas, now, I know how it sounds because it sounds like a guy who is already entrenched isn't giving his all, but we all know it. If you have somebody pushing you, if you have motivation, you play harder. And it's mental. It's not that they're choosing to go left. We all know it. I mean, you hear it in basketball all the time that this team tries harder. You hear it in football that when the Super Bowl champs come in, you circle that date on the calendar because you want to give them your best shot and all that kind of stuff. So I I think that's part of it too. I I do think that I I find it weird that the 
coaching staff is so dead set on Dallas Thomas being a tackle because he does seem to fit being a guard better. But that I know a lot of people have issues with it that he's not seeing any playing time and that we we clearly have messed up the draft because our young guys aren't playing. But if they see him as a tackle, they don't see him as a guard. They are concentrating all of their development on him as a tackle. Why, when you have a guard get suspended, would you put him in at guard? That That's where the question comes in. They wouldn't. They would keep him. Now, they obviously a tackle slot opened, but they feel that right now Tyson Clavo is a better tackle than um, – than Dallas Thomas. They also feel like Dallas Thomas is a left tackle, not a right tackle. So they have been playing him as a left tackle. They didn't want to stick him in for Martin over on the right tackle. That's why he's stuck on the depth chart, not playing time. I, I don't I don't necessarily say I'm agreeing with it, but I'm saying that's why. Now, I also completely don't see the need that Jamar Taylor and Will Davis need to be on the field. No, they don't. They absolutely don't. Would it be great if they were? Of course. But they don't need to be because Brent Grimes seems to be doing a pretty good job. Dimitri Get Patterson, the man his money. Yeah. Dimitri Patterson seems to be doing a pretty good job when he's healthy. And Nolan Carroll is holding it down when Dimitri Patterson isn't. So add in the fact that Davis and Taylor have been injured off and on throughout the year. And – there's other reasons, but I mean, we have depth. We may not be a 12 and three or 12 and four team or 13 and three team, whatever it would be for a number one overall seed, but we have depth. We are a developing team. We, we aren't, we aren't going to dominate the NFL this year, but we are developing and it's there, which kind of goes back to the, do we really want to blow it all up debate that we had last time we had a podcast like four weeks ago or three weeks ago or whenever it was. But uh, learning debater, thank you for calling in tonight. I've got a couple questions in the live thread I want to bring up and we're hitting about half an hour to go in the show. Cause I also want to talk about the Steelers. So thank you very much right. for calling in. No problem. Thanks guys yeah. for having me. Yep. You have a good night. One more thing. But- yeah, one more thing I want to mention before we get to the uh, before we get to the, uh, the the questions in the in the live thread. Anyone else notice Chad Henney's wheels last night? Chad Henney's what? Chad Henney's wheels. Did you not see him take off down the field looking like looking like Adrian oh, Peterson? Wheel. I did. Wheel. I, heard, I heard you say squeal twice. No, no, it's wheel. It's his accent, man. I'm a wheel. I'm a wheel. <laughs> I know you're in North Carolina and you like people squealing and stuff, but uh, <laughs> no, don't even get that. But uh, did you not see him take off down the middle of the field like RG3 or something? He did. And, and, and then he slid and ducked to miss the guy, and he got over like looking at the ref like, "Hey, should you give me an extra 15 yards?" He's like, "Come on, this is the most I've ever run in my entire life." <laughs> I will say one thing: I like seeing Chad Hill have some success. I. It's it's the Jaguars. It's not pretty. He still looks like Chad Henney, but they are the they are the team with the longest winning streak in the NFL right now. Just to throw that out there, the Jaguars are. 
So who knew? But I do like I, I do hope Chad Henney has a good, decent career. And granted, it's probably going to be as a career backup somewhere. But he didn't do anything wrong. I mean, it's like Ted Ginn. Ted Ginn didn't do anything wrong. Ted Ginn got drafted by the Dolphins way too early. How is that Ted Ginn's fault? So I like seeing Ted Ginn have success, just never against the Dolphins. But um, um, who was it? It was Jason Scott, I think. Yeah. Oh, nope, that's not the question I wanted. I somehow scrolled past the question I wanted. There we go. Okay, Jason Scott writes, we also need to realize that some of the lack of creativity on offense has to do with a second-year quarterback who was a developmental quarterback. Can we please just let him develop? We are seeing good things from him, but there are things he is doing that, we can, that he can be doing much better. Let's wait and see if Sherman starts to look smarter once Tannehill starts to develop. For all we know, he could be a freaking genius, but the quarterback has to run that offense. And that's a very good point. I look at it the other way. I look at it like Tannehill has grown as far as he's going to in his college offense. When you think of a college quarterback, you're looking at a guy that's probably been in a system for four years, whether it's a redshirt freshman, maybe five years if he's a redshirt senior, those kinds of things. Tannehill was a receiver. Then he was a two-year starter at quarterback, and now he's a two-year starter here. So that's his four years as a quarterback in Sherman's offense. So I, I, just, I think that the way I look at it is it's time for him to get an NFL offensive coordinator, and Sherman absolutely is. I'm not going to argue that. But get an NFL offense, get him somebody to take that next step. But Jason Scott's point could be valid. He could still – Sherman could still be holding back the reins a little bit on his offense because he just doesn't think Tannehill's able to handle it yet. And that kind of goes back to um, something we talked about several, several podcasts ago about how, uh, how, how or, I'm sorry, why, why does Tannehill not audible as much as we probably would like? He doesn't seem to look at the defense and then audible the play to change it. And it could be that he just doesn't have that power yet. He just they, – they have not installed those type of audibles that he can go up there and be Peyton Manning and change the offense to exactly what he wants. And it could come with time. It could be a developmental thing. But maybe there is some validity there that Sherman is still not putting the full playbook he wants to out because he's still trying to let Tannehill develop versus us seeing it as Tannehill has developed but the playbook won't let him go the rest of the way. Yeah, and I think that goes back to uh, kind of another point and something that that was discussed today on the thread is that I, I think a lot of people see in the NFL right now they see young guys come in and contribute at a high level immediately. And you see a guy like Russell Wilson who's playing very well, and you think, why can't Tannehill do that? Why why don't we have a guy that can do that? But here's the thing: Russell Wilson played. Uh, a bunch of years at North Carolina State. Then he went to Wisconsin for a year, and I'm going to have to go for just a second. I'll be right back. Okay, then. That was a very awkward transition. More awkward than some of the transitions I've done on the show. But, okay. Is uh, it? I've, I've been, <laughs> uh, maybe not. <laughs> I have had some that are just like, uh, yeah, we're going to change the subject. I don't care. 
Um, Jason Scott also writes that we need defensive tackles because our Pro Bowl franchise tag defensive tackles are sucking. I disagree. I, I, I disagree that they are sucking. They are doing outstanding jobs. The problem is our linebackers aren't backing them up. And we're starting to see it. LRB, LRB has been up and down, more up than down, but up and down this season. Wheeler has been down a lot and is starting to come up. And I think that, that that is absolutely a chemistry thing. I think that they had not figured out how to work together yet. And we're starting to see them work together. We're starting to see it which is why the defense is starting to pick up. We're a top 10 um, offense, or a pass defense now. I think we're still middle pack, 15, 17, somewhere around there, rush defense. And part of that is also the fact that we got torched early on in the season, so it, it takes a lot to come back from that now. But you're starting to see the defense come together, and with the defense coming together, you're going to start to see – the run defense come or get better, and that's going to make the defensive tackles look better. Paul Soliai is a monster when he is in there, but they're not playing him as much because they're trying to go to more of a speed package with Odrick and Starks in at defensive tackle over Starks and Soliai. We're 25th in rushing yards, so we're still way low on that. Um, I, I – I disagree that Starks and Soliai are sucking. I think that Soliai is going to probably be the one that gets re-signed. I think Starks probably is the one that ends up leaving. I I don't see both being re-signed. If you told me they re-signed both, I'm not going to complain at all. I think what's going to be more interesting this offseason is simply you have Cameron Wake, who is an all-pro, Pro Bowl defensive end who can do whatever you want him to do. You have a ten and a half sacks, fifth in the NFL at this point, defensive end at Olivier Vernon, and you have Deion Jordan chomping at the bit to try to get in. Where do they fit these three guys? And that does I, I think that also goes to the idea. I know you've talked about it, Duke, because I think you're back. Um, yes. Uh, I know Keith has talked about it. It kind of does go to the should we be a three four? Because Soliai is absolutely a nose tackle, and Starks can play it if needed. But Starks has been a Pro Bowl defensive end in a 3-4. You could put Odrick on the other side, and now you have your three defensive tackles on the field, and you have Wake as a linebacker and probably Jordan as the other linebacker on the outside with uh, Vernon rotating in there somewhere. So there's absolutely that ability. You could also then end up – sliding Koamisi down as a 3-4 defensive end, or you could put him as a rush linebacker also. So there's options there that a 3-4 might actually make more sense for the Dolphins if they were to transition to it. But I think as defensive tackle, even if we stay 4-3, I think both of them are playing well. I think it just we look at it as they're not because the linebackers aren't there because the defensive tackles aren't to make plays. The job of the defensive tackles in this scheme are to eat up blocks. Get those offensive linemen blocked so that way the linebackers can make a play. And our linebackers haven't been comfortable making those plays yet. 
I think you're starting to see it from Wheeler. You're starting to see it from Ellerby. And I think Ellerby is finally starting to get to the point where he's the guy on the field telling everybody where to be. And because absolutely 100% before this season started, the guy that was doing that was Chris Clemens. So your safety is back there doing it. Chris Clemens is great at that job, but you want your middle linebacker being that guy. And I think you're starting to see it become LRB's job. I think if you – I think this team would be great in a 3-4 in a scheme. And I, I think the one player that would keep them really from using it a lot would be Philip Wheeler. I, I don't think he's a good fit in a 3-4. Um, I think if you, if you went to a – right now, if I had to pick a starting 3-4 lineup, uh, obviously it would be Audric and Starks and ends, Solo Eyes, your nose tackle. Uh, your two starting – Outside linebackers at this point will be Wake and Vernon, and you could throw Jordan in there uh, right now. I mean, Vernon's just playing better right now. So, um, and then your inside linebackers will be Ellerby and Nisi. And right now, I think Nisi's probably playing the best of all the linebackers, in my opinion. Uh, he seems to be tackling yeah. better. He's getting to the ball. He's just, you know, it, when you draft when we drafted him and we traded up to get him, I believe. Um, you know, we traded down. Yeah, you know, we traded down in 2010 to get Audric and to get that pick back. So when we got him, we kind of expected him to be more of a pass rusher, and that's not his forte. He's more of a blitzer, which they can use him like that. And he got a sack right. this week. I think he's had he, he's had more sacks as a blitzer than he ever was as a starting pass rusher. So um, you can leave him in that role. But I think as a as, as a middle linebacker, an inside linebacker, and a three four, I think he'd be dominant because he could tackle and. He's big enough that he could take on blocks. Um, if you wanted to use him more as a thumper and let Ellerby be the guy, I think it, it, even though Ellerby's making more money, I would actually switch around and let Nisi be the guy. But Ellerby's, according to Pro Football Focus, is actually graded pretty high in terms of pass coverage. Uh, surprising because it was actually that was kind of a weak point of his, and his was more of a blitzing tackling guy. Now it's kind of flipped. Right. Looked weaker in those departments, but he's been great in coverage, as we saw this week. And um, with the, you know, with the interceptions, so, you know, I, I think you could do that. But even if we stay in the, in the four three, you know, we can use. We've got. It's almost as uh, I think it was uh, Bill Polian said uh, when we're talking about we're talking about the quarterbacks, but I believe it applies here. Is it's an embarrassment of riches. Is that while we don't necessarily have elite talents, you know, we don't have. Inside linebackers like Navarro Bowman and Patrick Willis, like San Francisco has, but we have just like ta- all over talent on the defensive line. I mean, we've got six guys that could start that would start on Great. most teams. So you just have to play them. I mean, there was one, there was one uh, play this past week where uh, it was a third down. The Jets ran, and Deion Jordan came from the backside and made the tackle. And um, I believe it was Sean Donovan in his post grading the um, grading the, the draft pick. He made there was a gif of it, and I, I started watching it. And if you look at it, the defensive line that was used there was Deion Jordan at right end, Cameron Wake at left end, Randy Stark and Olivier Vernon were the two defensive tackles. So they use yeah. these guys all kinds of ways. They are. So, I mean, it, I mean, those guys aren't going to be – they're not stalwarts like they were last year where Audrick was playing in and those two guys 
Starks and Foley, I had to be the forces in the middle. I think that they're just being rotated so much, they're being used all over in different ways that, I mean, it's just, I, I think they're doing okay. I think the reason that the run defense has been bad is just because the linebackers and some of the other players just haven't been tackling as well. I think I think the best way to to describe Nisi is he's Channing Crowder. Guy that's out there making tackles and being the solid linebacker that you need. But he's not the guy out there making the spectacular play. And that's part of why Channing Crowder drove people crazy because he was out there running his mouth, and then you wouldn't see a spectacular play from him. But then when you look at the stats afterwards, he'd have five, eight, ten tackles, and you're like, okay, I didn't even notice him. So I, I think that's what Koamisi is. I, I do find it interesting that they are playing him as little as they are, but I think that's because they prefer to go to a big nickel where uh, – Jimmy Wilson comes in and is essentially a cornerback slash safety in the nickel, and they pull Misi out, leaving Ellerby and Wheeler as the linebackers. But I, I think that's part of the issue of why we don't see Misi as much as we could. But I think that uh, they absolutely should play Misi more, but I just I think – it's part of the system that he just ends up not. Uh, reading Jason Scott, he disagrees with me that the job of a defensive tackle is to eat up blocks. He says, if that's true, then the scheme sucks and it needs to change. That's why we can't stop a third and one if only the only guys that can make a play there are four and five yards off the ball. If the defensive tackles aren't playmakers, you cannot call those guys pro bowlers. They're just big in, in the way. Well, apparently you can because they are both pro bowlers from defensive tackles. Don't tell me that Paul Soliai's job is not to take on the double team because that's what he does every single play. He takes on a double team, and he shoves those guys into the backfield. That's his job. Clog up the hole. Don't let there be a hole. Take those two guard and center or guard and tackle and shove them back into the backfield. That's making a play. And one other, the running one other thing. running forward and offensive linemen are coming towards him, he can't go through there. He has to find a different way around. And one of the things is I think the defensive ends, too, were kind of slack on run defense, and they've picked it up a little bit, too. I mean, I know that's where Byron was graded pretty low early in the season, and I think he's picked up his run defense. He's become he's become more of an all-around guy. Wake's pretty good against the run, um, and he's made some stops. I don't think he was he was necessarily the weak link. But I, I will agree, and our run defense really was bad when Soli out was out. Um, it was. It was horrible. And, and, that, was and that was one. That was one knock against Jared Audrick coming out of the draft. I remember reading about him because I, I never thought the Dolphins would draft him because I thought we were looking at nose tackles, you know, at that time. But when we did draft him, one of the things that I read about him was that I read before was that he, in terms of pass rushing from the defensive tackle position, he's really good at that. But teams can run at him. He's not necessarily a threatening run defense. So I think that. He needs to improve there. I think if you darks and solely I all the time and Audrick was not involved, I think our run defense would be a little bit better. Um, Probably. But now, look, we went up against the Jets 
who who like to run the ball, and yeah, they can't really pass the ball, but they they still try to run the ball in this game. And one third of their rushing yards came on one play. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and I thought the guy was tackled, and he he got loose. So, um, I mean, they they stuffed a pretty good running team. Um, they did, and and that that goes back to where the rankings are a little bit um, skewed. Because they did. The Dolphins let up a ton of rushing yards early on this year. And they're starting to pick it up now. And they're starting to get it together. And sure, 12 weeks, 13 weeks into the season is a bad time to now be deciding that, oh, we want to be a run defense, stopping defense. Yeah, that's a bad time to do it. But they are starting to do it, and you're starting to see the benefits of it. You have a Jets team that suddenly can't run the ball, and that's the only thing they do well. Now they have to rely on Geno Smith and Matt Sims to try to throw the ball, and we saw how that worked. So there, and, and there are, we're going up against a Steelers run offense that's ranked 31st in the league with a running back that just came off of, is coming off of a concussion. I think he's been cleared to right. play with an offensive he is, line that's shaky. He's so, cleared to I mean, fully. He's fully cleared to practice. I so, assume that yeah. means he can play as well. Yeah, I mean if if he. I don't know that I've ever had a concussion, but I know you said you have. So, I mean, yes. he could be one hit. He could be one hit from the sidelines again. And in my opinion, in terms of evaluating our run defense, if we look bad this week, we're just going to be bad against everybody because this team can't run the ball on anyone. If they run the ball on us, you know. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I I agree with what you're saying. I think that it's starting to come together, and that's just it's just one of those things that. That I mentioned to Kyle when he called in, it's so tough to look at this past game and say, is this a product of the Dolphins finally getting it together? I mean, Tannehill has had two back-to-back 300-yard games. Um, The defense, they stopped the Carolina Panthers running the ball, too. Uh, I don't think the Panthers had a great running game against us, um, if I recall right. So, two good running teams that they've, they've pretty much clamped down on in two weeks. So is this a sign of the Dolphins are finally getting it together or was the Jets game just a product of, of the Jets just being bad and the Dolphins just by default being better? So I think we're going to really kind of see what's going on there this week. I don't know that the run defense is necessarily going to be uh, tested this week. But, you know, I think they have an opportunity to, to make a big statement and actually help our averages a little bit by shutting down an already weak running offense. Right, but and I think uh, I think the other thing for, to remember here is the Steelers don't have a pass rush. They just don't. I mean, they, there isn't one. So not only could the defense see um, see the running stats come down, you could also see the offensive linemen look better because they theoretically won't give up as many sacks. And one sack last week is awesome, especially for a team that has been averaging four a game, and this was up against a Rex Ryan defense. So I think that, I mean, look what Rob Ryan's defense did to the Dolphins. So I think that you you do see – you do see 
this team starting to get it together and starting to look better. I think that we are getting the Steelers at a good time. I think it's going to be a tough game. We haven't won, and this, this I, I hate this stat because of how long it makes it sound like when you, you don't play the Steelers every year. They, uh, the Dolphins haven't won in Pittsburgh since 1990. So it, it, it's not... You know who the quarterback was for the Steelers when they played? That game. In 90? Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Who? I, Bubby Brister. Was it? That was actually the name I was going to say. I was going to say it, and I was like, no, it couldn't be. Man, I should have read that this week. <laughs> I want but. to bring up a, um, a, a a question that Jason Scott uh, brought up, because it goes back to a couple of things. One, something we've already talked about, about the rookies. We were discussed earlier on the thread today, but he, he mentioned, let's see if I can find it here. So can we also talk about how much depth we have at cornerback suddenly? Like suddenly, right. or so you can argue that they're deepest position right now on the entire team. Who can honestly say they saw that coming? And we kind of knew what we were going to get with Grimes. I mean, if he stayed healthy, as long as he was healthy, kind of, yep. we need the kind of player he was going to be. Um, he's yet to give up a touchdown. He has. He actually has a. I think. I believe it was you that brought this up. That he has a lower passer rating against him than Daryl Rivas does. Yep. Uh, he has more passes defense. He has, he's tied, he is tied for, I think, second or third in the league with four interceptions. Second, um, yeah. There's one player who has five. Um, I can't is, think of who it is off the top of my head right now, though. Uh, it's DeAndre Levy. from the. He's a linebacker from the Lions. Um, because I read an article about somebody saying the linebacker has never led the league in interceptions. Will this be the first time? So that's the reason I need that. But anyway, um, he usually shadows the number one receiver. So, you know, you, have, you can honestly say he's probably the best cornerback Miami's had in a very long time. But then you kind of thought, well, Demetri Patterson, and, you know, we've, we saw some good things from him in preseason and heard some stuff in camp. And the guy has, like, the best interception per game ratio of anyone, considering that he doesn't play. <laughs> uh, but when he does, he gets interceptions. Um, yep. But, you know, people thought, oh, no, Carroll, he's a liability. Jimmy Wilson's a liability. And if you told me coming into the season that we would be going into week 13 and our starting three cornerbacks would be Grimes, Carroll, and Jimmy Wilson, and then said we were in the playoff, I would have laughed at you because no one would have that. And then, but Jimmy Wilson has, has stepped up as of late and has become fairly – a fairly good nickel cornerback. Um, it, it's to the point now that when you see him in there, you don't think, oh, crap, they're going to target him. Um, he had a good pass breakup this week against the Jets. Um, if I remember the pass play correctly, I don't think it was one of those where the quarterback just made a bad decision. I think it was a good play on, on Wilson's part. And then Nolan Carroll has a pretty good uh, pass rating himself uh, when the quarterbacks target him. Um He's given up a few big plays, but for the most part, I think he's played well too. So we've got four guys right now that are that are playing not necessarily at a great level, but the Dolphins are ninth in the league in pass defense, which is better than Seattle, who everyone talks about their secondary. And that is with Rashad Jones not playing up to his new contract that we gave him. He's not had a good year. So he has Rashad Rashad Jones is not playing great. 
Chris Clemens is playing, you know, Chris Clemens. He's doing his he's doing his steady thing back there in the back, going, you know, keep holding it down back there. But our cornerback play has just improved a lot. Um every cornerback that we have has at least every every quarterback that gets major minutes has at least two interceptions. Our cornerbacks last year had three total for the season. Right. And those came in consecutive weeks, week three and week four. And they never saw an interception the rest of the year. So we have two cornerbacks with four each. We have two cornerbacks with two each. So, um, you know, I, I think for the most part our secondary is doing well. And that's not something I, I would have expected. Given, given, you know, if you told me Jamar Taylor had come in and played well, I, I could believe that, or even Will Davis. But just the guys that we have have just stepped up. You know, and it's just it's very surprising. So, yeah, it, I mean, suddenly we have a secondary that is not necessarily one that you would want to brag about, aside from Brent Grimes, but it's not one that you feel like, oh, we're just going to get beat. You know, everybody's going to throw the ball all over us this week. And to point it out, the um, secondary has only allowed one touchdown for a wide receiver all season. Yep. So the the secondary is amazing. Um, we are getting ready to run out of time here, and Jason Scott has been on hold for a little while, so I want to go ahead and get him on. And he wants to. Apparently, I can't get him on. Why won't it let me get him on? There he is. Hey, Jason, how are you? Hey, how's it going? Hey, um, why wouldn't we brag about our cornerbacks? We've got two cornerbacks tied for second in the league in interceptions. We do, and one of them can't get on the field. So, right, exactly. <laughs> He can't get on the field, but when he is there, he's picking off balls. I don't understand it. But, yes, absolutely, you are right. Um, I, I was going to talk about defensive line, what I was talking about before. I know I you don't want to you don't, you don't like my answer of uh, defensive tackles? Well, here's the thing. Um, <laughs> when our defense was good back in the – you know, back when we had um, Tim Bowens and, and those guys, um, we ran a 3-4 or, I mean, a 4-3, and those guys attacked the holes. Um, so rather than yeah. sit back and wait to get blocked, they were in the hole, and now you've got to deal with them. And if not, they're going to be all over your quarterback or they're going to be all over your running back. The thing I don't like, I don't like when we're sitting back and we're, we're getting blocked. 300-pound guys shouldn't just accept that they're going to get blocked, not even if they're double-teamed. What I want to see, I want to see them fight off, throw some people out of the way. Use your, you know, use your hands a little bit. Get off the ball, or at least put your hand on a guy when he runs by you. Because what hap- what what I see happening too often is they get pushed back a little bit, and that's, you know, whatever. That I don't like that, but I know what happens every once in a while. Um, but then they're, you know, they're kind of playing the running back's kind of playing chicken with the linebacker, and you've got. An offensive lineman blocking our our guy that's supposed to be a pro bowler, and the linebacker sitting behind looking which way to go. It, does, it doesn't matter which way he chooses. The running back's going to go the other way, and we've got a big gain on our hands. And we we've seen that all season long. And you can't blame the linebackers for picking wrong. Why why can't those defensive linemen grab grab someone when someone's running because... right by them? Because that's not what they're supposed to be doing. Now, could they? Yes, they could absolutely. And, if the guy yeah, is within and arm, why yeah. would they? Yeah, but and that's because why we're giving up 125 yards. 
But what should be happening is Ellerby and Wheeler and Misi are hitting that hole because, that is open because you have somebody like Paul Soliai taking that double team and eating up those two guys who now aren't there to block a linebacker when the linebacker hits the hole. But we don't yeah, do that. I don't see that very often. I, a lot of times I'll be single blocking on them. We, but that that is also part of the problem. And the other issue is that you are seeing um, – you're, you're not seeing uh, Ellerby and Misi and Wheeler hit those holes because part of that goes to Misi or not Misi. they one way, their running backs going the other way. But it's not see, just that. Yeah. It's, it's also that Ellerby goes one way and Wheeler goes the opposite, and now they've left the middle because those two yeah. don't have that chemistry yet. And they're starting to build it, and you're starting to see it a little bit better. I, I think you, I think you, I think you are you're correct. I, I would absolutely I would love like to see. see yeah, I'd rather start solely. I get in one hole. I don't care which hole. Have him pick a hole. Then LRB, all he has to do is fill the other hole. There's but not there's this back and forth of the run back sort of sitting behind them and just waiting for the linebacker to pick pick a pick a I size. Think, he he makes them wrong. I think you know the problem saying? with that idea is though that they've been doing that. The problem is Soliai picks a hole and LRB runs right into the back of it. Because Ellerby thought he was going the other way. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, set up the defense to where it goes that way. They know which right. hole they're going in, and the other one goes in the other one. And, and, and that's where they're starting to get. They didn't have that comfort before. That they may call a play, and Soliai gets up there, and he reads something. He adjusts where he's going to go, but Ellerby's not seeing the same thing yet. Or Wheeler's not seeing the same thing yet. So I, I think there is. I absolutely I will absolutely hundred yeah. percent agree with you that if Soliai is single teamed, he absolutely needs to pick up that guy, shove him out of the way and go make a play. And we've seen him do or that at times. Him one way. Yeah, and Boy. what we what I used to love seeing is I love to see Timbo throw the guy one way and get in right. the other hole. And then yeah. there's no way to and, go because you, you either run into your lineman or you run into Timbo. And that's a bad I agree. Bad, Bad choice either way. I agree with that, but I so, just having having. I guess I'm kind of spoiled with that kind of defense, where having every run was seen, a three-yard loss. Having seen how coaches have wanted to use Soliai because he is so big that he is able to just clog up holes, and it's the same way that um, this Wilfork is used, and Wilfork has success because he's so big and strong that he just eats up those holes and shove those shoves those offensive linemen back into the backfield. And yeah, Soliai has yeah. done that at times this year, but he's not you're right to the extent that he's not doing it to the same level that he used to. And part of that Well and Soliai the thing that Soliai has against him though is he's not the freak of an athlete that, that right that Wilfork is. As big as Wilfork is, um He's a freak of an athlete. People that big just shouldn't be able to run the way he runs. Right. It's just it's, absolutely it's not. It's not normal. <laughs> it's not. So, it's not at all. Let me throw in one more factor here too. He's on a yeah. different level than everyone else. 
another factor that that happened with this number one is, um, you know, we've talked about how they change up the packages a lot. Whereas last year, you didn't see that as much. You saw pretty much you you did see them rotate Audrick in on passing downs for the interior, and Starks came out, but you didn't have this, you know. Guys like Vernon and, and whoever else lined up in the interior and like one down lineman kind of stuff. So I think they've changed a little bit on defense and that's hurt them a little bit. And the other factor is, you know, there's been a lot of times that our offense has gone three and out, and these guys are just, you know, that's true. They they they've been shutting down the run early in the game, and then the, and by the time the by the time the end of the game comes around, like look at the Tampa Bay game. Held them in check for the most part, and then we give up a, a game-winning, became a game-winning drive, and they ran the ball down our throat. Those guys were just tired. Right. So I think you know, I, I don't want to say this conditioning, because you know, I mean, these are you know, a 340-pound guy is going to get winded, you know, easier than 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 the linebacker. But it's harder you know, to play defense than it is offense. Yeah, right. I think you know, because offense, you know right. where you're going. Yeah. Defense, you got to figure out where you got to be. Yeah, and I think that's part of what she saw with the Jets. Is the reason we were so good defensively is because those guys weren't on the field. I mean, the defense would come in, uh, you know, they would run the ball, we would stuff the run, Gina Smith would throw the ball in the dirt or whatever, and then our offense would stay on the field for eight minutes. You know, even though we didn't put a lot of points on the board, you know, Sarks and Solei and those guys were sitting on the bench, you know, drinking a cup of coffee, eating a sandwich or whatever. <laughs> and not having to, not having to put a lot of work is where there's a lot of other games where our offense three and out they're on the field for the defense on the field for five minutes three and out on the field for five minutes and it's something like that is wears on you regardless of how how good you are so I think that that that's a factor and I don't want to I think that's a minor factor but I think it does play in there a little bit. Hey Jason, I want to thank you for calling in tonight. We are past our ninety yeah, no minutes, so I need to go ahead and all right wrap up the show. Hey, but I was, thanks for I was gonna calling. Say, I, I commented before. Sorry, before about the ideal offense for Miami being um, a run-oriented hurry-up, sort of like um, you know, not just all run. I mean, it could be short passes and stuff, things that are high percentage plays where we take our shots down the field or down the seam. Um, just you know, hurry up, kind of being in South Florida heat. So. I th- I, it probably is. You're right. I think that's probably very much so. Um, if you could, if you could hurry up and just keep going at them, yeah, I think you're right. But thanks very much for calling in, and uh, we'll be back right, next week. Call and keep talking. Yep. Talk later. Bye. Um, one last thing. It, I brought it up earlier today, and unfortunately, I can't even remember which thread it was in, so I can't go back and see who it was. But, um. Somebody was questioning me because I said that Nolan Carroll has Mike Wallace speed and that he may be faster than Mike Wallace. And I don't think people realize that Nolan Carroll is a 4-3 guy. I think he actually ran a 4-3-2 and Wallace ran a 4-3-3 in their respective combines. Carroll is fast, and I don't think people realize this. Um that's why he works as a gunner. That's why he does these things, because he absolutely can fly down the field. And I, I just I think that people are so used to seeing him get beat that they just assume he doesn't have speed. But I think that's more of 
him trying to keep I think that I think part of it is probably the fact that he has the speed because he trusts himself to be able to catch up to people and then by the time he gets there it's too late. But I, I just I, I just wanted to make a point that Nolan Carroll is absolutely a blazer and people just don't realize it, I think. Um, let's see. That was on the uh that was on the five questions with the, was it the five questions. Okay, that's, yeah, that's, I remember, that's what I put it said it was, but I couldn't remember, and I scrolled through it real quick and didn't see it. But I, I remember, I remember reading that and then thinking, I think somebody's going to make a comment on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I, I think I read uh, when it, when we drafted him, he was like he ran a four three seven or something in his pro day, so that, uh, he's got speed. And people don't realize now there was a big debate on Twitter back around before the draft. And Maddie uh, brought this up on Twitter because um, he kept um, Omar had said something about look at the corners that Miami drafts. They're all like big or something like that. There was some debate going on about the size of the cornerbacks that they draft, and something about they don't draft cornerbacks over a certain size or something. Anyway, Maddie kept saying that Nolan Carroll measured in at five eleven. I said, well, the, the Dolphins page and the NFL page has him at 6'1", but he said something about the combine, something had him at 5'11". And so any of you insiders out there listening to this, if you want to research this and find out actually how tall he is, uh, <laughs> it never got resolved. It, I mean, it, we weren't arguing. I was talking, well, this information says one thing, and his information said something different. And I always thought he was a little on the taller side because I'd seen you know, lined up against guys like um, – you know, he'd see him stand beside somebody like Fonte Davis who measured in at five eleven and Carroll was taller than he was. So I was like, yeah, they can't be the same height. But I don't um anyway, NFL but he, NFL draft scout says he was five eleven at his pro day. Carroll was? Yes. Okay. Five eleven at his pro day. He ran a his pro day time was a four four two in the forty. But he was projected to be a four three two. Um and that was that yeah, that's right, that's right. He uh he was coming off his broken leg that he had his senior year. And that was why they they projected him at four three, but he ran a four four because he was coming off a broken leg. But yeah, he so, was five eleven and some change. Okay, well, I still haven't listed six and one, which is weird. So, <laughs> I, I, I don't he, know. He, I'm not anymore. He magically grew. It's okay. Yeah, magically it's, grew. It's like I, Russell I, Wilson. Not, Russell Wilson has yeah. magically grown, according to Seattle's website. Yeah, that's <laughs> the. Uh, he, I think Carroll has been the has been the step up player this year uh, on defense. Um, Clay's a guy on offense, and I think Carroll's a guy on defense. That, I mean, like I said, when when Demetri Patterson went down, he got hurt, and you thought Nolan Carroll's guy coming in. It, I mean, you would get scared because that's just he was a guy, that was, right? You know, and he wasn't that bad last year. It's just we had those visions of the Thursday night game in Buffalo where he was getting torched left and right, left and right, right, and that kind of sticks in your head. And he was just kind of a he was just a guy that was out there. But so far, I mean. And the way that they ways that they've used him, he's he's played very well. I mean, he's not 
he's not an in-your-pocket kind of guy like Brent Grimes is, but he's not bad either. And he did a fairly decent job against Julio Jones when we played, played against the Falcons. So, you know, that's a pretty good measuring stick. You know, uh, I mean, he gave up like five catches, I think, when he was in direct coverage. So, I mean, no, he's not not a guy that's going to lock you down like Farrell Rivas, but he's also not going to get beat for 13 catches and a million yards uh, by any lead wide receiver. So, you know, it's just uh, I, I think that he has been a welcome welcome sight to this defense to the point that if, if, if Nolan Carroll started and you're kind of like, yeah, we can get that, you know. And I, I don't know. I'm pretty sure Grimes is going to cover Antonio Brown this week. But the, everybody else on that team, I don't know uh, how well they're doing. Emmanuel Sanders, I believe, uh, from what I've read, people said about him is basically he's one of these guys. The ball has to hit him perfectly to catch it. If, he, if not, he's going to drop him. So uh, I don't know how that's coming along. But you know, I think Carroll's just a guy that, and he's a free agent too. And I think I honestly think they need to re-sign him. I think he's a guy that you can start to build around that you can use as a, if nothing else, as a backup cornerback. Um, who you feel comfortable with starting and let a guy like uh, Jamar Taylor, you know, hopefully those guys can develop a little bit and 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 work themselves in the starting lineup um, because that's why you drafted those guys that high. But if uh, if they can't, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think they're going to cut Patterson simply because the guy can't stay healthy. And when he's in the game, he's good. But he's got $5.4 million next year. That's his salary. And they can pay me half of that, and I'll sit the bench. I mean, <laughs> seriously, I'll, I'll save him money to sit the bench like he will. So, um, stay healthy. I don't see why you keep him. And that's just being truthful. Even though he's played well, and we kind of all expected him to be a liability, and he's turning, he, he was a pleasant surprise when he was on the field. He just he can't. And that was, you know, I've mentioned it before that that was a knock on him. It wasn't talent. It was just he can't stay healthy. And so I think that going into next year, we might draft a corner, but it probably won't be very high. But um, I think that going into next year, I think they're going to re-sign Grimes. I will be very upset if I don't. Um, Re-sign him. Uh, That'll be your kind of your cornerstone of the secondary. Uh, Re-sign Carroll and then let him and Jamar Taylor and Will Davis battle it out for the starting spot uh, and keep uh, keep uh, Jimmy Wilson as your nickel guy or safety or whatever. And I want to bring right. up something. I know we're running low on time, but I want to mention, you know, a lot of people, they give Ireland crap about his drafts and stuff. And most most GMs are going to miss draft picks. That's, you're just going to miss most of your draft picks. That's just how it goes. But let's look at his very first overall draft that he had by himself with no Bill Parcells. He's got Mike Pouncey, who is a very good quality starter. You've got Daniel Thomas, who is a bust in my opinion. Uh, uh, Clyde Gates, who is a bust. Then you've got Charles Clay, who has turned in to be a high-quality uh, tight end in my opinion. Uh, I don't think he's, he's in the top ten of tight ends in terms of receiving yards, leading the team in touchdowns. A a a uh, you know clear kind of step up player this year, and you've got Jimmy Wilson who's kind of locking down the nickel position. So a lot of people look at that first draft and thought, man, this is a terrible, terrible draft. But yet you got half of the guys from that draft. You only had six picks, and I, can't, I think 
who was the other guy? Frank Curse. And he yeah. got the, I think he was that he draft. Got he, he got poached. So, um, yeah. you look at you look at that draft, and suddenly you've got three guys that are producing at a fairly fairly high level at this point. Um, a couple of them took a while, but they were later on picks. But now they're stepping up their game to the point that there's the guys that you want to keep. So, um, you know. You look at those drafts, and then, of course, you got the 2012 draft, and then and this draft can't really rate yet because, I mean, heck, these guys aren't seeing the field very much. But, you know, his, his drafts aren't looking so bad now in retrospect. I, I think you're right, yeah. I think that the, part of our issue is we are instant gratification. If player doesn't immediately do something amazing – we are ready to call him a bust. I mean, people are calling Deion Jordan a bust already, and we're 12 games into his career. So take it for what it's worth. I, I think you're right. Um, we are running really short on time, so I'm going to send it around real quick. James, you got anything else on your mind? No, sir. Okay. Uh, Duke, you got any last ideas or any last thoughts? Um, nah, I can't think of any. Okay, and Nolan Carroll was mine. So, uh, everybody, thank you very much for listening. I know it was a longer show. Um, if you are listening to this on demand or downloaded on iTunes or however you are listening to it after the fact, and you made it this far, thank you very much for listening the whole time. Uh, we'll be back next Friday with another Finsider podcast, and hopefully we'll be talking about another Dolphins win, this time in Pittsburgh for the first time since 1990. So everybody have a good night. Have a good weekend. If you are enjoying the fun-filled winter storm that blasted through Central Texas yesterday and is headed for the East Coast, uh, stay warm, stay safe, and we will be back next week. Talk to you then. Everybody have a good night. Good night. Bye. The two megastars summer mashup. The awesome iPhone on the Rockstar Metro PCS Network. Get the iPhone you've always wanted for zero dollars so you can jam without limits. It's a hit. Get an iPhone SE on us when you switch. Metro PCS. Coverage not available in some areas. Plus sales tax and $10 activation fee. Requires port of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or on Metro PCS in past 90 days to an unlimited LTE plan. See store for details and terms and conditions. Switch to Sprint Unlimited Basic, featuring TV from Hulu and 500 megabytes of mobile hotspot. Plus, for a limited time, get five lines for only $120 per month. Hurry to a Sprint store or call 1-800-SPRINT-1. Offer ends 8-16-18 after 131-2020. Pay $32 per month per line for five lines without a pay. One Hulu limited commercial plan for eligible Sprint account. MHS reduced to 3G speed after 500 megabytes per month. Coverage and offer not available everywhere. Excludes taxes, fees, and roaming. Requires new lines. Subject to credit and three activation fee. Video streams up to 480p. Speed maximums, use rules, and restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat 
from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.